I am so thrilled that Pantheon Podcast is now aligned with Adam and Eve dolls. I am sure you can figure out why it's the right fit for me, so to speak. And right now they're offering free stuff to spice up your bedroom along with your first order. You can select almost any one item for 50% off and then Adam and Eve will load you up with free stuff. <laughs> Enter offer code PJPARTY at checkout and get 10 Hotsy Totsy free gifts. A sexy item for him, a special gift for her, and a third item you'll both enjoy. And listen to this, you'll get six free spicy movies. And shipping is free. What a bargain. My fave is Clone a Willy in all different colors. Listen, you can be your own Cynthia Plastercaster right at home with your man, okay? So that code again is PJPARTY at adamandeve.com. Hi, this is Johnny Eccles from Love, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcasts. Welcome to Pamela DeBar's Pajama Party, a Pantheon Podcast. Music, culture, conversation. And good old-fashioned rock and roll. So now, I give you Miss Pamela and her pajama party. Hello, dolls. This is Pamela Daybar. Pamela Daybar's pajama party on Pantheon. We have many, many different podcasts for you to choose from. It's such a fantastic group of characters with all of our musical interesting fascinating tales okay so please tune in to all my other compatriots here on pantheon podcasts Every time look in the mirror, lines, my face clearer. the past is And today, I have a very special guest, uh, my dear longtime friend, Michelle Overman. She is in both my video uh, kind of movie. It's a 90-minute VH1 film called Let's Spend the Night Together, and also in the same book of the same title. And she and I met when I was 19 and she was 17. She was a little actually no, I was eighteen. I think you had just turned twenty because I remember you wrote in your journal that you were blue-eyed, blonde, blue-eyed, and twenty, and how great that oh, was. Oh, did I? Okay, <laughs> all right. Then Michelle had just turned eighteen or about to turn eighteen, and I was, no, I was eighteen because I, I, I know it's twenty. <laughs> anyway, oh, then, you might have 
we met in no, we met in April. So you might not have turned. You might have been nineteen. You might have still been a teenager. I think I was nineteen, honey. I think I was. So here's how we met. Um, I'm going to tell my remembrance, and then Michelle will okay. tell first. Um, I was uh, a big, huge Flying Burrito Brothers fan. A lot of people ask me, you know, who is your favorite band of all time? And they really do expect me to say Led Zeppelin or who I loved, but, you know, or The Doors or something. It is the Flying Burrito Brothers. Burrito Brothers, yes. I, I yes. never saw them. Actually, I saw them, I meant to say, more than any other person ever saw them, I think except for their road manager, Jimmy Sider, because I- You're never, very lucky. You know, very, I'm, very lucky for that. I know, I never missed a show. So I remember coming out to the dance floor and doing my thing, and you were already on the dance floor, and I think you were out there alone, if I'm not mistaken, on the dance floor, right? I don't remember being with anyone, yeah. Yep. Yeah, you were alone. Uh, yep. the I don't remember floor. anything. And I'm I sorry, was, say that again? You were alone on the dance floor. Yes. Yeah. I don't even know how I got there that night. <laughs> you don't remember? Let's try to remember that. No, I remember it. I just don't remember how I got there. I just, my first memory is being on the dance floor and seeing this little blonde angel. And I remembered you from the Rolling Stone article, the Goopies article. And I remember when I saw your picture in that article, you were sitting in the middle of, of all the other details on the floor with your legs. I said, that girl and I are going to be friends. I just knew it. And so <laughs> when I saw you, I, I just kind of made a beeline to you. And we met that night, and you yep. had come to town from New York. Mm -hmm. How long had you been there? Do you remember? A couple what? of weeks, maybe. A couple of weeks? Maybe a couple of weeks, yeah. And you, were, you had come to L.A. to try to reconnect with Graham Parsons. Is this correct? Partly, yes. There's other reasons, but that was, yeah, I had actually, even though I had already met Robert and knew I was in love with Robert, once I heard the burritos, there was just something so magical about them and about him in particular. It was just impossible not to, he was one of those people that has such a magnetism, like Evan says, he, he can open his their heart, those people can open their heart chakra at will, and you can't resist, and his music was just like that. So yeah, I, I was just in love with the music, and you know, he was the person that wrote it, so yeah. I, I had a very short affair with him, and, and I did have a huge crush on him. So, yeah, that was one of the, the – and heart, also – I love that heart chakra idea, have their heart chakras open, and they're irresistible. I love that idea. That came from my, my hubby. You can see why I'm married. Evan is her husband. He's been helping us put this thing together today. <laughs> yeah, anyway. I was in the cat. Cat box hell, and, and he was helping get it, making sure it didn't fall apart completely. See, Robert, he was referring to earlier, is Robert Plant, which we will get into later. Um, Michelle and I were seeing Jimmy and Robert at the same time, and we're going to go into that story. But right now, I want to stay here with the Graham Parsons and us meeting and right. all that. Yes. Because it was pretty I, great. You know, I've never really discussed with you in any kind of detail. Uh, what it was like to spend that kind of intimate quality time with Graham Parsons. We've never it really... Was pretty it, was pretty, it was pretty great. It was very strange because uh, I met him in the scene, of course, that's where I met everybody. It was like being a kid in a candy store. Everybody came in there who was a musician. And so for us girls, especially the really pretty ones that, you know, were attractive, these guys would come in and they'd all hit on us. And we basically, you know, you got to know a lot of people. You didn't go out with everybody, but there, you know, a lot of people actually met their husbands there and their wives. But I, when I saw the burritos, I just, it's indescribable. I just could not believe the music. It just, 
instantly touched my heart. I still have the, the this promotional copy of Gilded Palaces in that Graham gave me. Oh. I still have it. And I still play it. I still have the copy he gave me of the International Submarine Band, his first record. So that's pretty cool. That's so, that's another absolute classic. You were classic. just about one of the prettiest people who ever lived. You and you and Catherine James. So, how did you meet Graham that night? I guess he just flocked to oh. you, right? Well, I had this dress that uh, a friend of my friend Jeanette's made. She did a lot of work, like with. Uh, Native American kind of designs. She made this green suede dress that was a mini dress, but it was fringed along the bottom. It laced up the, the front and these long fringes, kind of like the shirts you made for Jimmy, yeah. uh, made out of raw, you know, made out of buckskin. I can't remember what it was. It might have been doe skin. It was really, really pretty. It had long fringes on the sleeves, around the hem, and it laced up the, the top, and I think Graham saw me in that dress, and because it was right up his nudie alley, the dress, and, and I looked good in it, that he was attracted to, you know, the whole thing, and we met, and, you know, he took me home that night to the hotel, and um, told me all about Nancy, and that, you know, he was, but that's, I think, what the main attraction was, because after the four nights we spent together, they went to Philadelphia, the man went to Philadelphia, and when they came back, I wasn't wearing that dress anymore. And we had kind of an argument. And there was this really nice guy who, this African-American singer-songwriter. And he, what was his name? I can't remember. But anyway, he, and I, he was talking to me. And I said, I don't know why, you know, Graham suddenly is so angry. He said, I think that you were this Indian princess. And then when the dress came off, you <laughs> weren't the same person. You weren't the Indian princess anymore. So maybe it was a dress. I don't know. Well, I br I'm sure the dress came off in the hotel room as well. Well, yeah, it certainly <laughs> And I also, he was, he was wonderful to be with. He was very gentlemanly, very courtly. Yeah, uh, I would think. They're, they're, they're guy from A&M Records who was the head of A&R at A&M was Michael Vossi. And yeah. somehow or another, I wound up living with him because my friend Lottie, uh, he was crazy about Lottie. And so she and I somehow or another decided to move to LA and we moved in with him and he, we didn't have to do anything but cook, cook meals and, you know, keep the house kind of clean and we didn't have to pay any rent or anything. So that, I don't know how we, in fact, the first memory I have of Lottie and I going to LA is she wakes me up. We're on the airplane. She wakes me up. She says, wake up, Michelle, we're in heaven. I look out the window and there's all these clouds because we were above yeah. the pipeline and the sun shining down. And that was the first memory I have of moving there. But oh, we, wow. you know, so, so I, I don't know how we decided just that she, I think because she had had an affair with Jackson Brown and um, met Michael maybe through him, but he was, he had a crush on her. Everybody had a crush on Lottie. Yeah, she, Lottie was remember so how pretty. She, I remember really. going up to that house and hanging out with you yeah. girls up there at Michael Vossi's house. Yeah. I want to backtrack a little bit because you said okay. he, he told you, Graham told you about Nancy at that time. Yes. And I was and, already and had, spending a lot of time with Nancy and Polly, her baby daughter, who was my goddaughter. And I'm just yes. wondering, he brought her up, why? Why would he bring her up to you, which is very interesting. Because he had just, she, she had, he said, she, he said, I just had um, a heartbreak. I mm -hmm. broke up with, you know, my um, fiance. I don't remember if he called her. He said, you know, this one he was in, very in love with and 
they were supposed to get married, blah, 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 and that, that yeah. she had broken his heart recently. And that um, there was a song on the, on the album called Juanita, and I guess Chris wrote it about he was heartbroken, this girl, this little Mexican girl in this little town came along, and you know she was such a little angel that she healed him. And he said, you're my Juanita. Oh, well, this is yeah. a fabulous story. I've never yeah, heard you don't that. Remember to- well, yes, you, you did. told me you that told me. years ago. <laughs> anyway. You, you mentioned her. You said that, oh, you know, the real Juanita was this, like, fat little girl. <laughs> and I said, well, he must have gotten something out of her. Anyway, Graham said that, I guess I helped heal him. Well, that's so, fabulous, yeah. honey. And, you know, I can tell you what happened there. You know, Graham had decided, he called, he was having a dress made for Nancy to, to get right. married in by nudie thousand dollar wedding dress yeah thousand dollar wedding he wrote about the hot burritos one and two and that thousand dollar dress was about her now for some reason he called that dress off he called off the making of that dress and she found that out i think she called this to for a fitting or something and the people who's nudie right yeah it was a nudie nudies, dress. yeah and and they said oh graham canceled that now, in, you know, it was impossible to reach somebody on the road then. And, she, you know, I'm sure she tried to reach him about that, but she couldn't find him. And what happened was I was spending the weekend with her that weekend, her and Polly. Oh, you were there. Yes, I that was weekend. there. Okay. And another friend was there. Graham's old drummer from Mickey Govan, I believe. His yes, from, from, the, from the International Submarine. Yeah. yeah, he was staying there, too. And she was so upset about Graham canceling this. She assumed the wedding was off too because the dress was canceled. And she she had a fling with him. And I, I kept saying, don't do this, Nancy. I mean, I was the voice of reason for her. I, I remember you telling me this. Yeah, I remember I you Graham so much. And I, and I was saying, don't do this to him. Don't do this. There's gotta be some kind of misunderstanding. I mean, anyway, she did it. And he found Oh man, out. what a mistake. A scape is a Scorpio. There's no way a Scorpio is not gonna, is gonna uh, let her get away with that. No way. And then Graham found out, of course, came back. When he came back, he found this whole story, and I was just so I was so mortified about it. And he beat Mickey. I mean, if you can imagine Graham about the slimmest Beating anybody ever, but, but Mickey was even smaller. <laughs> well, if you're mad <laughs> enough, you know, especially about something like that, you you just become a crazy person. You find the end. I in the book though the Graham Parson book the one that's that's really good actually there was a few mistakes in that book yeah there's a few mistakes well you know Michael Vossi was with the burritos and that, and I met him when he when I was going with Graham but in the book he doesn't mention anything about me which is really strange because I wound up living at Michael's house for months you know before I moved in with you so yeah. uh, and then they talked about how he met this little girl in Philadelphia and. He, you know, slept with her, and then the next night her, she comes with her mother and father, and that, you know, oh. completely freaked them out because she was underage, and, like she was oh going to marry God. him. So, and I think maybe because of that whole $1,000 wedding dress, which was Indian, maybe that dress seemed like an omen to him, the one that I had on. Well, it, I thought it, it was a pretty dress. I, I saw the drawings of that dress, what it was supposed to look like. It really wasn't Indian. It was more it like, wasn't. it was more like a nudie suit looking dress. It didn't really look Indian to me, but you know, I huh. don't, it never got made, so we don't know what it would really look like. What it looked like, yeah. I saw the drawings, I, but but anyway, I, he beat Mickey up. Nancy and him broke up completely, and she never got over it. She never. No. Nope. 
but it was her fault if you want to go there i mean she she made that mistake of sleeping with his friend oh my god but you know, he got some really good songs out of it <laughs> some of the best songs I've ever written were written yeah, for yeah. her but yeah. And she, when I met her, remember we hitchhiked up to uh, Santa, Santa Barbara? Barbara? Yeah, yeah. I, I remember we got stopped. We were, hitchhiking, we were hitchhiking. We got stopped in Oxnard, California. And there were these two cops. One was really young. And um, they stopped us. And I said, well, what are you two girls doing? You know, because we were so young and pretty. And they just were you know, stupid cops. So anyway, <laughs> you, show, you show, well, sometimes they you know, stop pretty girls just to chat them up. I mean, it happened to me attempt to, to commit jaywalking, you know, but anyway, so these cops, you know, they were nice enough. And the one, when you showed your ID, uh, I remember it was in profile because back then in LA, if you were under 21, you got a, a, a photo, you got oh, a, your a memory's incredible. in profile. But anyway, the cop, so the cop said to you, well, why are you hit girls hitchhiking? If you have a driver's license, where's your car? And you said, I sold my car to visit my relatives in Kentucky. And the young cop was from Kentucky. He said, oh, I'm from Kentucky. These girls are okay. And they let us go. How in the world do you remember this stuff? I wish my memory was as clear as yours. Well, okay. there's other stuff. I don't remember that you kind of sometimes jog my memory on. So I, I do remember a lot. I do remember a lot of stuff. But there are certain bits and pieces that other people fill in. That's yeah. why when I write about my life, I want to talk to everybody I can find that was, you know, with me, especially you. Well, Carol has a very worthy story of writing. Um, she was in the thick of everything in New York and California and London. So yep. in the heyday, she's considered, you know, one of the world's most famous, shall we say, groupies, infamous, whatever you want to call it. And she has no regrets, which is so great about, I mean, about your, you know, groupie lifestyle. So no, let's, let's talk There's more no about reason that. To. Yeah, because people are very, obviously very curious about all of that. So after you got into to L.A., you, you moved in with me. Was that before or after you convinced me to go to Long Beach to see Led Zeppelin? That was after we were living together. Okay. And I, you know, I think, well, after we, I remember, and you remember too, when I saw you on the dance floor, I didn't know you. I knew, I knew that I, I had, I, I'm pretty, I don't know if psychic's the right word, but I'm pretty perceptive. And there was just something about you. And the, when I saw that picture, I just knew we were going to be friends. So when I saw you, I went up to you and you were just a sparkly little thing when you had, uh, you know, one of your pretty little glass farmhouse dresses on you had a cross around your neck and i went up to you and in retrospect it sounds fatty that i would do this to somebody i didn't know but in those days things were different yeah i you, went up there yes it was a lot I, of freedom yeah a lot more freedom and i freedom said to you I, know you I said i know you're wearing that cross because you love jesus that's right and that was <laughs> the right thing to say to you <laughs> that's totally true it really and, was and of course i felt instant connection because of that and yeah. and we really did. We probably danced the whole rest of the night away. I was in love with him at that time. And yeah, yeah, like I said, I never missed a burrito show. So um, and neither one of them had time for us. But hey, we we met each other, and that was that was as good as you know. <laughs> well, Chris had time anything else. off and on. I'm not yes, sure but not that, that night. Time. Yeah, not that night. I remember bringing no. my dad to see the burritos play because um, 
I really wanted, he loved country music and I was really proud of the burritos and I wanted them to meet my dad. My dad. And, and Chris was such an asshole. He came to the table just to meet my dad, father? shook his hand. He shook my father's hand and my dad said, let me buy you a beer. And he bought Chris a beer and he set it on the table and he never came back to the table. <gasps> never, yeah. I mean, you don't dish oh my dad like that. I was so upset. Graham was very gracious to my dad. Of course, like you said, he's, he had really southern, really genteel manners and everything. He was a gentleman. Yes, he yeah. was. He, he really very, was very, very, yeah. You know, um, I have to say your dad was such a doll. I can't <laughs> imagine anybody. I remember seeing him the last time I saw him, he was in your house in the Valley and he had this big oxygen tank Yeah. and he was so, he was still so gracious and so sweet and it just broke my heart. Cause he was, you were very lucky to have such a wonderful dad. He was he a really big macho was. man. And that really, really sent him in a very sad Imagine. Healthy spiral. Well, it was black lung disease from the coal mines. Yeah. All those years before came yeah. up and, yeah. and got him. Yeah. 21 to 24. He worked the coal mines, but if if anyone had told him you better not smoke, since you then he, yeah you know would you didn't know back then no they I didn't mean, know. people didn't know was it anyway but they did even then call them cancer sick so anyway luckily now most of us know enough to have not smoked for years yeah <laughs> I finally quit seventeen years I haven't had a cigarette yay <laughs> well okay honey so um, let's go to Let's go back even further because before I met you, you were hanging uh -huh. out in New York. I want to hear about your your relationship with your mom because I knew your mom and she was a very far out lady, one of the furthest out and way ahead of the spiritual curve. She was a Mayor Baba person. Um, yeah, Mayor Baba. Yeah, who who later, of course, you know, was made even more famous by Pete Townsend's Tommy. Yeah, and, and they uh, were friends. Yeah, but before then, your mom was totally into it. Yes, and she found out about Mayor Baba through me. Oh. Um, I had, yeah, I was one that told, I turned around to Mayor Baba because I was in L, in, not in LA, I was in San Francisco. I moved there, of course, the summer of love, 1967. I was working at Paraphernalia where you sit, model their clothes, dancing in the window. Yeah. And the manager, the lead sales girl, and me all moved to San Francisco, summer of love. And uh, I wound up taking several hits of uh, Owsley, Stanley Owsley's acid yeah. that was super strong. He wanted to turn the world onto the universe, basically. It was that, it was incredibly strong. So I took this one trip and everything was, I was like in a true state of enlightenment. I had like a religious experience. I, there was no division between anybody. We really are all one. I saw it. I know. And even though I, I've I never had that. <laughs> I agree. You know, you know what I mean. And to, to experience that was just amazing. I, I'm in Golden Lake Gate Park and this young woman comes up to me and hands me a card. And it has something on, written on it that Mayor Baba had said about the lover and the beloved, how there, there's only God is love and there's nothing but God. So God had to manifest as the lover and the beloved. And when the, love, the lover had to overcome all these obstacles to reach the beloved, and when he did, he realized that it was he himself who he'd been seeking all along. And he just floored me. So I went back to New York and I gave the card to my mom and I told her that, you know, this is something that had you know, really touched me. I didn't tell her I was on acid, but <laughs> not that she didn't, didn't know I had taken it because all of us had. But yeah. uh, 
she after, she just was really intrigued and it really struck a chord with her. And then she just took the ball and ran. And yeah. And, and at the end of her life, I, I think it was a, a wonderful thing for my mom. It, she was a happier, more peaceful person because of Mayor Baba. Yeah. I think it was, yeah. it was, a, it was a, a, a great gift to her life that she found him. I was just the conduit. No, I, didn't. I, I think so too, because um, she probably today would have been categorized with bipolar or something, right? Not bipolar, no. What, what, no. what would it have been, do you think, now? You know, I don't know, but it, it certainly wouldn't have been bipolar. Um, maybe, I don't know, honey. I because, really don't. But she, I mean, it was she wasn't, difficult. She, she didn't, would. No, it wasn't, it, well, it wasn't that bad. I mean, when I look back on it, yeah, there's things about my childhood that I would change, but. Um, I don't have like severe traumatic memories because of my mother. Okay. You know, more, more yeah, but, well, okay. Let's put it that way. This way, uh, it was a permissive lifestyle. I mean, you well, you didn't have to check in with her and tell her where you were all the time, or yeah, you know, as a young teenager. None of us did. Patty didn't either, really. I mean, we used to. I remember being at Patty's house and we'd be under the covers because uh, you know, Patty in the living room. Patty okay. and her parents would come home and um, they were, you know, they'd gone out and they'd have a few drinks and they'd come back and um, we'd be just giggling because, you know, they were drunk and they were you know, having this kind of fake argument. It wasn't, they weren't really arguing, but her dad would go, your daughter is a floozy and your son's a meathead. And her mom would be going, <laughs> now, George, you know, get control of yourself. And Patty and I'd be like stuffing the pillows in our mouths, just like, Trying not and to how old were you then, like 12 and 13, right? About 12, yeah, 12 yeah. and 13. Wow. And a friend of that, we formed this group, Greenwich Village Kids. It started out as a website. My friend Bibby, who's actually the mother of Beck, the, the musician. Yeah. Her dad is, is an artist who was like in uh, Andy Warhol's milieu. And he had a loft where we used to hang out when he you know, wasn't in town. He had these huge uh, facsimiles of Hershey bars all over the place. So we used to hang out there, and um, she and I used to, uh, basically, we, we'd hang out in the streets in the middle of the winter. We'd go into a building by the park and sit under the stairs with the radiators. We weren't just knit. I mean, we're not really terribly, terribly bad girls at all, but, you know, none of us really, we didn't have a curfew. None of us had a curfew. That's what I mean. Very we, different lifestyle from mine in that it was, yeah, yeah it was uh, well, it was Greenwich Village. You know, it wasn't Greenwich just my Village, mom. Right. Was, Let's say where you were brought up on 99 Perry yeah. Street in Greenwich Village. Yeah. See, I didn't I mean, do even, that. <laughs> even for the village, she was far up. But my mother never had like manic or depressive episodes. She basically was the kind of uh, uh, eccentric, I guess. For she was definitely eccentric, honey. <laughs> yes. But she, she, she changed um, her name from Gina to Govinda. That was well, that was fairly common. She was actually Jean first, but Gina was like, she wanted, she wanted to be an actress. She went to Herbert Burgoff's studio where Patty also studied for years. Yeah. So she was going to be an actress. So Gina was her stage name. Or her, she was you know, very that, beautiful. She was. Yeah. And when she was younger, according to things my father told me, she really was kind of nutty. But after her divorce and um, when we started to settle down in, you know, in the place where we grew up, she did, she went through therapy, she went through racking therapy, which helped enormously. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, she did used to embarrass me every now and then, but she was, she was very <laughs> stable. She was strong. She always kept the roof over her head. We went to great summer camps. You know, we, we you know, we're in the right place at the right time for that kind of lifestyle. And, 
And I know she loved me. Of course she did. I want to talk about too how how much different it was back then as far as age. You know, we, girls could do, start so much younger uh, having relationships. You know, and yeah, and nowadays. They look like sluts, pardon my, you know, using that term. Little girls are encouraged to look really, you know, sexually available, but then they're encouraged to not be. So it's a really strange yeah. um, dynamic there. You know, the dichotomy is, it's, it's not, it's unhealthy, I think. But, you know, we had sex earlier, but we also had good relationships, you know, that were healthy. Yeah. So, I know, don't you, know you, you don't have any, like nightmare stories of being uh -oh. abused by any rock stars never no 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 the opposite they were wonderful to me i know that's how i feel too but you were younger than me but but still i even my early ones when i was still virginal you know i stayed a virgin way too long probably <laughs> anyway technically uh, you were a virgin yep yeah i was <laughs> uh, until i was 19 and a half but i had relationships with people up until then, yeah. too, you know. Um, but okay, so let's talk about some of your real early ones. Like, how old were you and Steven Tyler when you hooked up? I was seventeen, and he, and was, he was nineteen. Nineteen, okay. Yeah, and and that was because he was a neighborhood boy. I mean, how how you? you I no, know he, he was from. He was from, uh, he was from. I guess the suburbs. He was from Yonkers, which is just above the Bronx. It's kind of like it's outside the city limits. And he lived in, you know, nice one family house, a detached house with his parents. His dad was a music teacher. Uh, I remember they were not there a lot because I remember she had a friend, Henry, who had access to a car. So he used to pick Henry and, and Stephen and a couple of the other friends. He had like this group of friends from Yonkers would come and pick me up from high school. And the high school, I only went to high school till 12 because it was a professional children's school. A lot of the kids there were actors or models, you know, and um, so you only did academics. So 12 o'clock school was over. I don't know how we, I think Patty went there too. How yeah, we could just Patty, Yeah, Patty went there also. And then Liz Derringer went there. A lot of people did. Rick went there. I know that. And people like Chris Stein from Blondie. A lot of people went there um, because we didn't have to go to school much and still, you know, could, could you know, be in school. So Stephen had graduated a year earlier. So he used to come pick me up from school in, in with Henry in his car. And we used to go back up to his parents' house because they, I don't know, maybe they were up in New Hampshire. But he was a lovely boyfriend. He really was. He was I know. You sweet. told me a lot of good things about him. He, well, one of the things I remember that you talked about was that he had in his bed built-in speakers into his bed frame. One on each side of the pillow, yeah. Yeah. So you were like in a wall. It was really nice. <laughs> and what did you guys listen to when you were being romantic? I remember he played uh, The Hollies. Oh. Uh -huh. uh, that was the name of the album. That song, Carrie Ann. Yeah. Hey, Carrie Ann, what's your game now? Can anybody play that? And then there's another song where there's sound singing like they're underwater. Anyway, oh, I yeah, do yeah. remember. I remember that very, very well. And how long did you two? We went out for uh, <laughs> about a year. And then I, I went back to California. I'd gone to California for a couple of weeks to visit my sister, who had gotten married to... Uh, Lee, who was going to UCLA film school. So she, she was very young. She was 18. And I got, 
somebody gave me the money, somebody that I met in Greenwich Village with Patty was there too. This guy comes up with a bouquet of Tootsie Roll Pops and hands them to me. And then he wants to meet a bunch of village kids. He's this German guy. And so he takes us to the Cafe Rienzi and he says, he says, I want to make you happy. What can I do for you to make you happier than anything else in the world? And I said, I want to go to California to visit my sister. I was 15. So yeah. Franny must have been only 17. So he pulls out a bunch of money. In those days, people kept a roll of you know, bills sometimes if they were rich. And he did. And he, he said, well, how much would it cost? And I said, I don't know, 500 bucks. He peels off, and in those days, that was a lot. Yeah, money. that's a lot. $500 and gives it to me. And I used that money to, and I, he wouldn't tell us his last name, but at one point he said, would you call the Hotel St. Regis, very fancy hotel off Fifth yes. Avenue, and ask if there's any messages for Mr. Kinski. So I said, okay, Klaus Kinski, that must be the guy's name. Didn't ring a bell. Oh. But then later, Whoa. when my mom said, yes, him. Well, you were only and, 15. It wouldn't ring a bell yet, I wouldn't think. No, he wasn't <laughs> famous in America yet, but. Uh, when we saw, my mother took me to see uh, Dr. Zhivago because she was a huge fan of Julie Christie. And the credits, Klaus Kinsey, and she grabs my mother, grabs my arm, and she says, that's the man that gave you that money to go to California. <laughs> and she she loved him, loved his acting, loved his role in the in the movie. He plays the man on the train who's in chains. Uh-huh. <laughs> who tells him, he says, I'm the only person on this train that's free. And she thought that was you know really cool. Oh. So, yeah, I went to oh, California. Okay, wait a second. Let's go back a little bit. You were 15 okay. the first time you went to L.A. I didn't meet you then. No. Okay. No. I was only there for a few weeks. I oh. loved it, though. I thought pink whipped cream and perfume toilet paper and spotlights on the palm trees. I just <laughs> loved it. I thought this place is daffy. The weather was great. It was Christmas. There was like... People were putting surfboards with Santa on their roofs. I thought this place is great. It was like so not New York. I just loved it. And I knew I was going to probably come back one day. So I go back to New York. Steven, then I go back again a couple of, like a year later after Steven. No. Then I went to LA, I went to San Francisco, came back from San Francisco. I was 16. A year later, I was 17. Steven and I have been going. I went back to school. Steven and I have been going out. I want to go to California. I want to see my friend Jeanette. So I drive across country with my friend John Boylan, who was um, in a band who played the Night Owl, where it was the first job I ever had. And uh, he was then Linda Ronstadt's first producer. So he had to go there. So we drove across country. And Stephen sent me a telegram saying, letter, missed you letter coming soon. And then he sent me this letter. And it was a really, really nice letter. And uh, saying how much he missed. I missed the two people he loved the most in the world were me and his dog, the Chihuahua. <laughs> so he was gone. But when I went back to New York, I didn't pick up with him again. And um, it's just and one of those things. That I, I wasn't in love with him. You and grown away. I was really young. Yeah, you were so yeah. young. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. My first boyfriend was Ralph Scala, who was in a band called the Blues Magoos. And they were like the house band at uh, denied out and at the same time I only found this out recently the international submarine band played there on a regular basis and oh. I do have I do not have any memory of that and I, that really surprises me because I want to tell you I, mean, something. Happy- I just hosted a, a Graham Parsons event online you know uh-huh. I usually host in person um, and John I found John Corneal he had just, John Corneal was the original drummer in, I guess Mickey Govan didn't play drums, or maybe John Corneal wasn't a drummer then, but he was in the band. He was in the International Submarine Band. And even on the song, Do You Know How It Feels to Be Lonesome? 
Graham. Such name, a great song. Name, oh my God. Name checks him. My name checks John Cornell. And I hung out with John. Uh, he got a crush on me and I just felt like friendship with him though. But we sang together and we were going to do a gospel duet. We were both Jesus people. Wow. But I hadn't seen him in 50 years and a friend of his got in touch with me on Facebook, sent me, sent me his new CD and it was just in time to get him on this Graham Parsons show. It was such oh, a special wonderful. treat for the Graham Parsons people. So anyway, it's all still going on. That's such, a, that's such a wonderful thing when those coincidences happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, Graham's always around. Graham is one of those spirits, yeah. I think. He's very lively. You know, there are certain spirits who contact easier, I think. You know, he's... he's he, he, I have, I've had a, you know, a few dreams, few dreams about him mm -hmm. that were not a lot recently that were really intense. And he was, in one, he, one dream, he's been really nice to me. And um, I said, why are you being so nice to me? I said, uh, after that week we spent together, you, you barely even said hello to me while you were alive. And now you're coming to me in my sleep and you're being so nice. Why are you being so nice to me? <laughs> well, I'm glad he was being nice, honey. He was. He was being, but the fact that I was aware that it was a dream was also interesting. Because usually, if I have lucid dreams, it's during the day when I nap, when you're not that far under. Yeah, yeah. But it was really intense, and I think, I think maybe Nancy was in it because I met her that one time, and I really liked her. And I think she was very sweet to me. She she told me she said, "I know Graham really loved you." That was such a gracious thing for her to say. Yeah, it was. Mm -hmm. She was a very different person than she is today. She, um, she you know, sort of flipped it when Graham passed. Um, couldn't deal with it, huh? Yeah, Polly didn't have that great of an upbringing. Polly's trying Poor to write Polly. her book right now. It's such an incredible story. Um, you know, we're still obviously very tight. I've known her yeah. whole life, just like the Zappa children. It's so far out. Yeah. I remember meeting her then, and she was this. She was young. She was like maybe I don't think she was even eighteen months. She might have been, but she. Ha I remember she had the same hands that Grandma has. Beautiful yes. long. Fingers. She has. And the, she has his hands miniature because she's very small. Yes. Um, yeah, she's tiny. Yeah, she has his hands in miniature. His beautiful. And, and her mother's vivid, vivid blue eyes. I remember yes. Nancy's yes. eyes were just yes. incredibly big, huge eyes. Okay, so yeah. let's go back again to. Um, when you left New York, the the time we met, um, yes, and and then that was had you, you had already met Robert Plant. Is this correct or not? Yes, you'd already. I met, met him. him in New York. Okay. I met him right before I turned eighteen. The day after my eighteenth birthday, they played it, uh, and he'd been like, chasing me around New York, but he wasn't famous, of course, then because it was a, the first time in New York. They sang in an economy hotel. They flew coach to get to New York, but <laughs> you could tell the writing was on the wall. And then oh, yeah, when yeah. they went, yeah. when they, they played the Fillmore East, uh, they were the opening act for uh, Iron Butterfly, very you know iconic <laughs> concert. They didn't want to go on stage afterwards, Iron Butterfly, because Led Zeppelin, that was it. Once you heard them, that was it. I didn't even know his last name then. He announced the band, and I thought he said Robert Platt. And he was wearing that velvet suit that you see in some early, early videos of, yeah. of the band. And he just looked so beautiful. He'd come up to me beforehand in the restaurant next door. He said, oh, there you are. And he comes over and he asks me, do I want to come and see his etchings? And he actually <laughs> remembered saying that years later. And I just... <laughs> It was like, for two weeks, this guy had been kind of pursuing me, but 
every groupie in New York wanted him, and I just didn't want to get into a fight with you know, Devin and Je- Jenny Dean and all those oh, other, God. you know, <laughs> women. So yeah. I just didn't didn't you know do anything, and then but after the concert, that was it. I knew it. It was a day after my 18th birthday. So I was just legal. I was it was January 31st, 1969. I was 18 years old. Well, that's so it was the music that because that's what did it to me. Because it was the music. Well, no, even before he played that night, when I saw him, he was so fucking beautiful. Yeah, I mean, he really was. And he, he was, was only 19. He was 20. Yeah, because it was in January. He just turned 20. God. He he couldn't even drink in L.A. Not that that stopped him. (laughs) So you you started a fling with him in New York? Yes. Okay. Yep. And you, did you, were were you falling in love like right away or? Oh, God, yes, immediately. Yeah. In fact, after they left, I was with my friend Ronnie Lyons, who was the, uh, I met him through Peter, Peter Yarrow, and he was really nice. He, in fact, he paid my doctor bills and um, no comment. And um, just, he was like a dad. <laughs> no, and, and no, he took me to Miami for the Miami Pop Festival. It was like the first large pop festival on the East Coast. And he was a tour manager, not the roadie. He was like the, the tour manager for Focal um, Harem. And he, uh, he was a good friend. And I remember having dinner with him and I started crying. I was getting all maws and maybe I had a glass of wine. I told him I was in love with Robert Plant. And he must have known who Robert was, but people didn't know. Six months later, they were famous. Yeah, yeah, I know. Same same thing. I saw them play in LA and I didn't want to meet, I didn't want to have anything to do with them the first time they came. Yeah, because there's those horrible stories. I remember you telling me the experience, the things that were going on. I never saw, I only ever saw one thing like that Remember when we hitchhiked to San Francisco yep. to see them? Yeah. And, and Robert sent me away, and I was very hurt. And I found out later that was the time they went to Seattle and the whole shark and, and the, the groupie incident that's still talked about happened. So I think he sent me away because I was the ideal. I actually said I was the ideal. And I was the good girl. I was like, you know, that cleaned his palate from all the crap that they did. Yeah, which is kind of a burden because I had to stay, you know, perfect, and I wasn't. But I, I was pretty innocent. I really was. So anyway, I was you and you and I wound up staying at my sister's, who was in San Francisco, and seeing the Stones. And you wanted to go to Altamont, and I just had a bad feeling about it. I just said, Pamela, don't go. I just have this bad feeling, and you, you know, I can't blame you because you were, you know good friends with Mick, so you didn't want to lose that opportunity. Well, I had just I, started my fling with him. This, you're, this is later. Yeah. This is a little later because I had, Jimmy and yeah, I had already right. had, you know, he'd already met Charlotte and all that stuff. I think. Well, no, it was, you, no, you yeah. hadn't met Charlotte yet. That no. was later. <laughs> you were still, you were still seeing him because we had checked yeah, up there to see the Zeppelin. He was not being true to me. He was not being true. Well, you had also I, I think started, this is honey, I think this is no, a you, different weekend because No, it's that I know for sure. It was that weekend we had hitchhiked up to San Francisco to see the Zeppelin. You were already seeing Mick, and I'm like, how can she expect Jimmy to put up with her, you know, being with Mick Jagger? And I guess you thought maybe he wouldn't find out, but obviously he must have. And it wasn't till a little, it wasn't much later, but it was later that he met Charlotte. Oh, I, I remember. It was because I heard he was not being true to me on the road. And, and Mick had been after me for so many 
weeks. He's, they'd been staying in LA for a while and I was hanging out with him. We were making out and stuff, but I didn't want to do that to Jimmy. And then I heard Jimmy was not being true to me. On so it's like, fuck that, him. Yeah. But yeah, yeah that's why shouldn't I? <laughs> that's what happened. for the gander, sauce for me. Yeah. Cause there was a double standard and we just weren't putting up with it. And that's why people, yeah, people don't realize that they see groupies as submissive. Maybe some of them were, I, but not us. We weren't I, like that. Maybe. Well, maybe there were some, but the groupies I knew were not like that. No, well, I guess that Devin time was not submissive, okay, and and neither, no. you know, many, many, you know, Catherine certainly wasn't either. You no. know, well, the thing is, with us, they treated us the way we expected them to, and otherwise, we wouldn't have been with them, and they knew it. If you want to be with girls like us, you have to treat us well because we're yeah, not going to stick true. around for abuse. Yeah. We just wouldn't. Have. But this one girl, I remember when we went up there. Robert saw me and I knew he was going to be glad to see me because we fall in love the first time we met. So, and we, we had a, a good relationship as long as I remembered to, you know, not think about it too much, you know. Well, because he was married. Um, Let's get down to it. Yeah. He married. But yeah. he had just gotten married. He'd gotten married a couple of months before I met him. Yeah. His daughter. <laughs> it, you know, it, there was, a, I think in a way, because of all the, the drama between him and Maureen and Shirley that I was kind of like a haven for him. Yeah. You know, I was this yeah. sweet little New York, sweet little American girl who was not involved in any of that. And I was pretty naive. I was just 18. I was, I was, I was really kind of naive and sweet. And you were and beautiful. You're exquisitely beautiful. Well, so were you. I mean, I just, I, you were like the, always the angel, no, the fairy on top of the Christmas tree to me. <laughs> I remember the, the flower, Cicely Mary Barker's flower fairy books. And I picked yeah. out a, a fairy for everybody. And you were the, the fairy on top of the Christmas tree. <laughs> That's so so you had this softness about you. You had this real soft beauty. And <laughs> to me, that's the most beautiful kind. I thought you But did. anyway, so we went up to LA. We went up to San Francisco. And Robert saw me, came over. And then there was this woman, this groupie woman, I guess she was, she must have been a groupie, I don't know who she was, never saw again, wearing this long velvet dress, she wasn't very pretty, and they had all this food laid out, and Robert gets this mischievous look in his eye, and he picks up a plate of potato salad, lifts up her dress, she's not wearing any drawers or any underwear, and just smashes the potato salad on her ass, and I don't remember, I think she just kind of it didn't react much. She must have left to clean herself up. But that was the only time I ever saw anything like that. And it was really rude was kind of here. That was really, really nasty. Crazy. Really yeah, fucking, and even when she put up with it because she felt she had to to be with them, yeah. I, I was just Well, that's the shocked. kind of stuff they would never do to us. Not that that never. was good to do to any woman, of course. And they, they really did get up to some really naughty antics. But it was usually Bonzo in a very drunken state and the roadies. And Chris Cole. And Richard Cole. And Richard and, you know, the funny, Throaty. the funny thing is Richard, Richard Cole has aged well. He is really, a, he's turned out to be a really nice guy. I know, fact, who would have imagined? He's many I years know. sober. I saw him he, kick someone's yes. teeth out of their head <gasps> for, for, yeah. for approaching Robert. I saw it. I was a witness to it. Yeah. But he and I are very good friends and we have been for a long time, ever since then, really. Yeah. So I remember the night that um, Jimmy... Kept, Jimmy got a hold of my phone number. I didn't want to have anything to do with him because when I was in Chicago with Cynthia Plastercaster, she said, don't go near these guys. They're really great mm -hmm. musicians, but don't go near them. 
she had their poster on the wall and I said, who are she, was, she, guys? she knew early because it wasn't yeah. until later that they had those horrible bodyguards. Those people were savage animals. Once I yeah. read the Graham, the, the uh, um, Bill Graham biography about the shit that they did. And really? I know, I've heard stories from oh. Robert, which I'm not repeating, not on the air. Maybe I'll tell you privately, but I won't say it for public you know, consumption. I won't do it on the record. Things he told me. Um, and that was the last time they were played. They almost killed or blinded one of Bill Graham's employees for no fucking good reason. Well, you know that that girl, um, that that Richard Cole had upside down on at the the experience with her legs in the air, giving her head walking through the club. She wound up in the story. hospital. She wound up in the hospital from that night. I believe it. But it wasn't from Jimmy Robert or John Paul Jones ever. Not that I never. Ever I mean, it's so Robert, funny. Robert admitted it, to being bait. Like he would walk in a room and act like he was going to be there. He didn't, then he'd disappear. But, uh, yeah. but anyway, the night that, that Jimmy finally convinced me to go to see them play. Um, I'd we went them, together. Well, I know. I'd seen him at the whiskey once, but I didn't know them yet. And, um, but I didn't, I thought he was too dangerous. So, so he invited me to Long Beach and you were going yep. to be with Robert then. And yep. you kept convincing yes. me. You said, come, please. You're going to, you're going to love them. We're going to have not, not only that, but Robert told me something about you that Jimmy had said, and I passed the message on to you that Jimmy told him that he really liked you. And that he, you know, he thinks Robert thought that you were, you know, like the the best um, girl that he'd ever shown an interest in. He re and he really thought it would, you know, be good for Jimmy to, to actually get to know you. And I told you, I said Robert says that he thinks you're the best thing to come along, to, you know, for Jimmy for quite a while. And he just had this feeling that you guys would, you know, hit it off. I said you gotta go. So and I knew that. The, and that's all it took. The way I was treated, <laughs> you would be treated the same way. You know, yeah. That you wouldn't yeah. Have yeah, and that's the, true. The funny thing is, yeah, Ma Maureen had been with Robert in Hawaii. The, the wives came. Pat came. Bonzo's wife and Maureen and and I don't know if, if John Paul's wife came, but they came to to L.A. I actually saw her, and mm -hmm. I knew when she left, I was going to be with her husband. And I, <gasps> you know, I, I was so young. And, but when it really hit home is when I went to El went to England because Robert didn't want me to leave, and I just I saw the shit storm coming. So I can't do that to another woman, you know. I just couldn't, you know. I, I felt like just such a I didn't like being in that position. I just felt like Ground Zero was a step away, and I didn't want to be caught in the shit storm. So that's one reason I left because he didn't want me to leave Headley Grange. But um, yeah, I but what am I going to do? He wanted to put you what? somewhere. He wanted to have he wanted you. To have he wanted you, and you yeah. know, he didn't like that either. You no, know? he wanted me to stay at Richard Cole's house. I wasn't going to be stuck in the country and be, you know, the whole thing about why buy the the cow if she's giving you the milk for free. And I just didn't didn't. <laughs> I, I panicked. I panicked, and I think I probably made the right decision. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um. So anyway, that night. Um, Mm -hmm. I wound up with Jimmy. That was the that was our first yeah. night together. Yeah, we were standing on the side. Richard Cole put us on the I side know. of the stage. I remember. I just we got to be on the stage, everybody, with Led Zeppelin. How many of you can say that out there? <laughs> yeah, from the beginning too. And Robert, 
not only has he sung that song, Going to California, to me, Penny's a witness, she saw it, and so did my friend, he sang it to me from the stage at, here in Portland. But um, he said on the, because people saying, oh, it's written for Joni Mitchell, that one verse, yes, that was about her. But he said that, record, well, anyway, Jimmy told me that I was one of the inspirations for it. Well, and, um, it was you and me and, it was some other girl. He said it was the California girls. It was you and yeah. me and someone else. I forget the other girl. Um, right. But there, well, there maybe was, Catherine. It may have been Catherine. Catherine. It probably was, yeah. Probably. But um, he did say it was written for his first two years in Led Zeppelin, and those are the two years that we, we were in. Yeah. We started in New York, went to L.A., and then we, the relationship actually did go to England, and that's where we broke up. So he said it was about the first two years of his being in the band. And um, Jimmy told me, because I was with Jimmy the night Charlotte was having the baby. He took me to dinner and he wanted Robert and I to stay together. He was not a good husband. <laughs> no, no. You know, he was going out with Shirley before he got Maureen pregnant. I think he just got the wrong sister knocked up. And then he just continued. Poor Maureen. I would not have put up with it. If he'd been, if somebody had been fucking my sister and then got me pregnant, I might have had the kid, but I would not have married him. Not well, if he would rather be my were, sister. I guess, I guess they were kind of estranged at that time. They were, I don't know, who knows? You know, no one really knows about a relationship unless you were there. But what people involved. said what, yeah. But I know when I met Robert, I did not know he was married. And when I was in the hotel, there were these two girls, Honor and, and, um, Jane, these two girls, and, and they were like hanging out in his hotel room, and they weren't pretty. They were nice girls, and neither one of them was pretty. He wasn't, you know, involved with them at all. And I remember um, they were cooking for us. I remember they made Robert some eggs, and then I said, "Can I have some too?" And Jane says, "Michelle wants some eggs too." She, you know, in other words, I was like asking them to cook for me, which. You know, I didn't mean it like that they were my servants, but I figured, hey, you know, you're scrambling us. Can I have some while you're at it? But anyway, so it's this weird situation. I'm in there with him, but these two two women are staying like in the living room part. And um, I saw a picture of a baby and my heart just, oh. I knew right away. I said, oh, oh. fuck, he's married me. That's the first I knew. He oh. told me the first time we were together about Shirley. I knew about it from the very beginning. He never kept it from me. Huh. And he told me, yep. Tell me about it from the very beginning. Well, in those days, too, um, you know, I always said I wasn't going to go out with married men. I really, really stuck to it nine, most for the most part. But you didn't know they were married. Like Not my own things. I didn't know he had just married Jesse Coulter. How would I know that? If a, moon, yeah. if a man took off his ring back then, you didn't know anything. Yeah, no, we've not. And, no. and, you know, there's no way of going online and looking anything up. Is, is, is Waylon Jennings married? Yes, he's married to Jesse Coulter. You don't know. You yeah. couldn't do that. You couldn't find it. Now yet. everything's an open book. There's no secrets. But back then, it was very easy to keep those things secret. Like you said, yeah. just take your ring off. Nobody's going to know. And, and Zeppelin yep. would stay and the Stones would all stay in L.A. and fly out from L.A. to the yes, city. that was their hub. They yeah. loved L.A. It was a hub. But the wives didn't know. The wives thought no. they were in, you know, Idaho or something. <laughs> they oh. had no idea. <clears throat> and the only, actually, Bonzo, who was the worst as far as being, you know, this reprobate, yeah. he missed his wife all intensely all the time. And would much rather been so home. much. He missed her all the time. That's all why the time. That's what he got drunk and, yeah. and got so, so stupid because he was so angry. 
not being with yeah and and also you know the band of joy the the first band that they had um it it wasn't joyful it was kind of an uh kind of an ironic name robert told me because they were always hungry and then when he would show up <laughs> Pat was like, oh, no, you're going to take my husband away again to, you know, some off on some wild goose chase where you're both going to wind up, you know, spending, losing more money than you earn. But when he finally got him into Zeppelin, of course, their fortunes went through the roof, but they never got to spend that much time together. And I remember the last time I saw Bonzo, I was with Jojo, Jenny Lane's wife. Yeah. Don't even get me started on him. Or, but anyway. Or her. Or her. Thank you. What? You don't like her, I know you know. But anyway, so, but she didn't, she wasn't a good friend of yours, just that in her defense. Anyway, so we're in the uh, Beverly wheelchair and we're in bed and Denny is talking to Bonzo and they, and Bonzo was like shoveling all his cup up his nose, one spoon after the other. And I don't think he died much long after that. He couldn't, his body couldn't have lived. So what the abuse he put it through. But he said that it wouldn't matter if they lost all their money tomorrow and they had to live in a tent. He said, as long as he and Pat and the family were together, that's all he cared about. And it just broke my heart because you could tell the reason he was such a mess is because yeah. he couldn't stand being away from her. He was like a big teddy bear when he wasn't drunk. He was so nice and yeah. because he was Robert's best friend. The three of us did stuff together. I remember going to this uh, uh, hot rod vintage car place because he wanted to buy some of these amazing old cars that had been retrofitted. Yeah. And, um, you know, just doing things like that. And it's like, the money is great, but love is way more important. And when you're not with the person you, that matters the most to you, the money is, it's nice, but it's not the same. Love is more important. It I remember just, taking you know. them all to Nudie's Rodeo Taylor. That's when they got the Western look they had for a while. Yep. <clears throat> and and uh, Peter, Peter Grant and John Bonham all bought little, cowboy outfits for their kids i remember that very oh. yeah oh i wish i'd seen that <laughs> yeah and we took him to the glass farmhouse the very first you know uh vintage store in la that's where i got all my early stuff and i remember taking a lot i took jimmy there uh not the whole band i don't think it was just jimmy that time and i remember the gto's that's where we used to frequent all the time and we got many of our outfits there and we took i remember taking rod stewart there and oh but he loved out. it yeah we decked him out you know people people say what a jerk he is blah blah blah. but i remember when i worked at keaton's in in london everybody went there i, I waited on julie christie i waited on rex harrison i waited on everybody what was the name of the he, place keaton's it was off the fulham road it was a restaurant Yes, and and when it was reviewed by Aegon Rone, who was the big uh, restaurant critic in London, he said the food is good. He said, but what makes the place so great is the serv service. He said each we had waitresses from all over the world, and each girl had like her own little uh, fan club and, and and her own little section with, with the you know the customers that liked her used to go. He, basically, the, the review was about us about this. <laughs> But Rod Stewart would come in with the faces. They take the whole table. He was the epitome of charm itself. He was—I have not a bad word to say about him. Not as not as a waitress. He was extremely nice. He was very, always very nice. sweet to me. Very also. charming. Yeah, very sweet to yeah. me. Also, he sang on the GTO's album, as you know. The whole Jeff Beck group sang on our record, um, and he was 
he was a real, you know, we called him Rodney Rooster back then. I think we were the first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we were the first people who did. I think we were the very first people who called him Rodney Rooster. And and he was, uh, he sulked because it was taking too long to get his part on the record. <laughs> and, the okay, and he he left the uh, the studio and we had to go find him. The, the GTOs are out there in the street. Go, oh, we called him Rodney too by, back then. Rodney, Rodney. Oh, no. where are you? Not to you? be confused with the other Rodney. No, not to Did be they meet? Rodney being Did they a... ever meet? Oh, I'm I sure remember hearing. I remember hearing Rodney Bingenheimer described as looking like a disappointed pixie, and I just <laughs> not back then, but the way he he looked like me recently. And I was like, <laughs> Well, I'm still very friendly with Rodney Bingham. He was a sweet guy. He had a great year for music. Yeah, he was always. way ahead of on trends. Yep. Yeah. Ahead of everybody. Well, I remember him and Kim Fowley. Yep. Those are the first two people I met when I came to Hollywood. The first two men I met in Hollywood. Actually, those are the people. <laughs> the, the most quirky, weird, uh, talented, just, yeah. Not exactly the, the, the prince type, though, you know, the prince in the fairy tale, but really an interesting characters. Yes. I have a copy of, of The Mayor of Sunset Strip, which I know you're, you're in. Yep. Well, I want to now, you know, we've talked a lot about the past. We have another 10 minutes or so. I wanna... Okay, one other thing I haven't talked to you about much, and when I write my book, it's going to be in there, but, you know, I had a, a kind of interesting relationship with uh, David Gilmore. And I knew him socially in London, and uh, he he really liked me a lot. Um, we'll talk about it another time. But yeah, that's that's another story that I haven't mentioned much. But I remember when I was in LA, it's like four in the morning. I get a phone call, and it's him. And he said, "I saw you in the whiskey." And I asked your friend, Vicky, my friend Vicky Victoria, yeah. with a long, long hair, yeah, uh, for your number. And she said, it was late because, uh, of course, back then I needed we needed our beauty sleep. So uh, he, he calls, she says, I'll give you the number, but don't call her because she'll be asleep. He said, but you were so beautiful, I decided to call you anyway. So uh, he did, and he took me out. I went on several dates with him, and he thought I was nuts to go out with a married man. He tried to take me away from Robert. And then when I was in New York, he also I also dated him in New York. And he gave me his, you know, I said, I'm going to England. He gave me his, you know, contact information, but I never slept with him. You never Not, slept with him? Wow. Oh, no, when I first met him, I did, yeah. But that's before I met Robert, yeah. Well, when they first came to America. And he was also very, very beautiful. And his parents lived in the village. They lived in, they lived in, a, in a complex called, uh, uh, what's the name of that place? It's, it's owned by NYU now. Washington Square Gardens, I think. Anyway, and he was in they, the they had this. <laughs> he was what? I, you know, some people might not know he was in Pink Floyd, so I'm letting him know. Yeah, that David. And he, also, we knew each other. We had friends in common in L.A., and I used to see him there. And um, uh, my friend came to his house with me. We went to visit him, and she said, oh, you could be mistress of all this. I said, yeah, but you don't marry a house. You marry a person. And he was beautiful, <laughs> and we got along really well. And, and I, I really, But you, you know, didn't have a thing for him. I was in love with Robert, and I knew that if I would leave him for in a heartbeat for Robert, and and I didn't think it was fair to be with someone who, you know, I would 
leave in a second for somebody else. And then I kind of thought about it and thought, well, Robert and I aren't going to get back together. Let me let me think about this. And that's when he came back with Ginger. And I'd actually put David on the plane when he went to America that time. And then he used to, when we, he, he used to see me socially and he would be with Ginger and he would be like all over me. And I was like embarrassed. And I kind of said, I'm really sorry, but she, and she was very, she played it really cool. She said, I'm all for love between friends, no matter what form it takes. And I thought that, well, maybe she's the right person for him, you know. But she, he treated her terribly. She deserved better. I think she deserved a lot better. I didn't know. But anyway. You, you know, know. Kath, Catherine brought David Gilmore to my 21st birthday party. Huh, how come I didn't see him? I was at that party. <laughs> I was on LSD. Do you remember? I was living with you then. Yes, I do. I and was had on those LSD. Things. And and I was seeing Jimmy Page. And he called me for my birthday. And as I was on the phone with him, Catherine walked in with david gilmore now Catherine was not invited okay she and i weren't speaking then i didn't want to know her remember Jimmy oh you hated her yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy i was the only her, one that got left her for me at that point and and she had some nerve yep. coming to that party but she brought david gilmore i remember that looking up and seeing so him. then you had to forgive her no i was mad i was on the phone with jimmy at the time it really took my attention away <laughs> Oh. Well, maybe David talked her into it. I don't remember seeing him, though. Really? Well, you were on after. We probably, I probably yeah, was. Yeah, I do remember the party, though. I remember it was a great party. Do you party. remember that crazy and... Dunko the Clown came. Do you remember Dunko? Yes, I do remember. <laughs> <laughs> and that guy, Ray. Do you remember meeting Nerea? Do you remember? Yes, of course. Do you remember? Do you remember Old that man Bob was also at the party? The, the people who got there early was Old Man Bob, who was this wild old yes. old man, play, Toscanini's head violinist who wanted to be a hippie. Head so violinist, yep. And 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 Dunko I Clown, Dunko, and the guy Ray, who wore Indian clothes and was bent over. He walked I remember him too. He bent over, but there was never any physical problem. The doctors couldn't figure it out. These were the first three guests at my first birthday party. You know, do you remember old man Bob brought all these cases of diet rice soda and ice cream, these gallon things of ice cream? Yes. And I remember Mercy would come over and open the freezer just with a spoon and eat the ice cream. Mercy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mercy. Oh, these memories. Oh, so I just want to talk about, um, you know, more recent, you know, Michelle Overman now lives in Portland, Oregon, and has for how long now? Twenty years? More than that. I've been mad. I've been with Evan for 20, over twenty years. Uh, I've been here since ninety-three. Nineteen ninety-three. I moved here. She moved to to Portland in ninety-three, and she got married. How many years? Nine. Ten. Ten years ago, she married her boyfriend Evan, who is now, of course, her husband, and um, I married them that's right Pamela married one me. Of the things I do I am a, a minister and um I married them and it was a beautiful wedding oh it was just wonderful and Patty Darnville came did my hair I hadn't seen Patty yes. in 25 years she came and I remember you thought she'd be too busy to come but when I asked her she said oh, no I'll come I was just so happy to see her I know that was thrilling and we had that a, was great. a lovely yeah. time and I visited them many many times I yes. I teach my writing workshops in Portland and of course, Michelle comes and and uh, just 
everybody enjoys her stories so much. She's a wonderful writer. And we're all hoping she writes her book very soon. Oh, did I tell you that on, for our 10th wedding anniversary, Evan actually had a computer built to his specifications for me so I could write my book. And it's absolutely beautiful. It's covered in real leather. It's just, and it, it took them weeks to make. He spent quite a bit of money on it. He's a wonderful, wonderful husband. Plus, he's really cute. So, um, and he's letting his hair grow out. Which, oh, yeah? yeah? Let me see him. I'm going to have to send you some pictures. He's in yeah. the other room taking a nap. But I will send oh, okay. you pictures. It's oh, growing quite long. And he okay. started growing, when he started working from home. And then when he got sick, he had to... Um, he was in rehab for a couple of months and he's, he was working from home before COVID. So this is like, this was normal for him. And so financially we're fine. His job is totally secure. We oh, have so money. Good. He said that yesterday. He said, we have plenty of money. I thought that's such a nice thing to hear. Your husband. <laughs> and he's and, and also been very cool about, you know, when Robert came to town those many different times and you he went was to very good about very it. Very cool about it. Well, you took him most of the time. I did, and Robert wasn't happy about my being with. I'm. You told me because he wanted us to have a reunion. You, me, and Jimmy, and and him. Robert wanted. He thought it'd be nice because of old times' sake for the four of us to be in L.A. Remember? And he gave yeah. me all his numbers and everything. And then he thought about it and thought, I don't want to come between you and your guy. And as it, but. We could have met for just a reunion. I mean, like you even said, come on, how many chances would we have to do this? And then he kept, you know, wanting to do stuff and changing how he is, wanting to do stuff, changing his mind. It's like he's totally with you when you're right in front of him, but because he has so many things going on all the time and so many people, when you're not there, he forgets. And (laughs) he's mad at me, and that's why you don't see him. I'm not going to say on record why even though he doesn't deserve me not to say it, but I'm not going to um, because I still respect the relationship and things that I've, things that people have told me in confidence, I'm not going to repeat no matter how mad I am. So, because it's just, it's not, you don't have integrity if you do that, but it's nothing, you know, like that. But uh, I'm hoping someday he'll realize that, None of us are getting any older, and this is really no reason to hold grudges. We're not getting any older. I like that. You said we're not getting any older. Let's stick with that. (laughs) Well, that's kind of been, you know, your most around day all this time. Ageless. (laughs) That's what we are. We're ageless. (laughs) Well, okay, honey. That was a fantastic interview. I'm now going to close the show. Okay. Okay. All right. It was great fun. I love you. I love you so much. Yeah, me too. Right. I don't have to come visit. I'll see you, you soon. I'll see you soon as this darn thing is over. Yeah, okay. I'll okay. be I'll be there with bells on. Love you. Love you so much. Bye, bye. honey. Bye. Bye. But there's Nikki wants to say bye bye. Bye, puppy. Tell Mercy I love her and miss her and hope to see her and Catherine and Iva and everybody else. I love them all. Okay, honey. Bye bye. Spend my days with a woman unkind Smoke my stuff and drink All my wine Made up my mind Make a new start Going to California with an aching In my heart Someone told me there's a girl out there With love in her eyes and flowers 
Well, girls, that was Michelle Overman. Um, talk about amazing stories, right? Talk about so many names that we all know and love. You know, were part of her life. It's really incredible. So I thank my dear friend Michelle for being my guest um, here on Zoom today. You know, we're in our different spaces due to the virus. And I want to thank Pantheon for letting me just talk to whoever I want to and, you know, have a good time with my people that I adore. And I want to thank Adam and Eve, too. You know, let's all buy some Adam and Eve products. Boy, we could use them right now, couldn't we? <laughs> and I appreciate you listening. I really do. And all of us at Pantheon are very happy that you're, you know, listening to our, our tales and our, our people who join us. And anyway, thanks so much for all of, all of your ears. And I will talk to you guys soon. And listen, I have, if you want to reach me, I'm on Instagram at Pamela Debar, uh, Facebook under my name, uh, Twitter, and my website is PamelaDebar.com. And uh, I hope to see you soon, dolls. Lots of love. Bye. There is no pain you are receding. The distant ships walk on the horizon. You are only coming through in waves. Your lips move, but I can't hear what you say. You've been listening to Pamela DeBar's Pajama Party, produced by Aaron Alden and Christian Swain. All sound design by Jerry Danielson and Busy Signal Studios. Find Miss Pamela at Pamela DeBar on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Find all the Pantheon podcasts at pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you find great podcasts find us on facebook at facebook.com backslash pantheon podcasts rock and roll archaeology on instagram and pantheon pods on twitter January 1978, a 19-year-old singer-songwriter has released her debut single. Those notes you just heard were the first notes of music that the world ever heard from a young British woman. And with that debut song, she influenced a whole new generation of female singers and showed what women in music could really do. Kate Bush. Hi, I'm Cecily, your host of the podcast Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. In this podcast, I'm discussing the history and story of every song that Kate Bush has ever produced in order, album by album. And every episode features a fan or two talking about why they love that song so much. We talk about not just the big hits.
but also the B-sides and her collaborations. So come join me on a journey through the extensive catalog of the one and only Kate Bush. Available now wherever you get your podcasts and a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network.